You are listening to the Daily Escape Podcast with Sadie K. Frazier. This episode has been brought to you by Traveling Realms Media. Under normal circumstances, what you'd be hearing right now is some soft musical interlude playing in the background, preparing your heart to receive words of weekly inspiration of hope. But these aren't normal circumstances, now are they? Today, I'm offering you anything but hope. Welcome to the Daily Escape special Halloween edition of exploring myths, legends, and the blood-curdling screams of a lonely podcaster just trying to survive her nightmare of being trapped in a never-ending loop of another zombie apocalypse. Hey, all. How are you doing this fine, slightly chilly fall day? In my neck of the woods, the leaves are changing, the weather is cool and autumny, and the chilly temps at night are just ripe for cracking open a window or three, throw in an extra blanket on the bed. That pretty much guarantees snuggle time with the hubby will surely ensue. Honestly, this is my favorite time of the year. It's kind of the ritual of pulling out my sweaters and hoodies and the smell of dried leaves falling. I like the way they dry and then they kind of crack under your feet as you walk through the woods. The feeling you get when you're sitting around a crackling bonfire with your besties and living life to the fullest. It's the time to soak up those long autumn nights that seem to last forever. It's the time of year I begin to allow myself to slow down a little and take in the sights and smells and feelings that surround us. There's something magical about this time of year. It's it's the pause just before the chaotic festivities of all the holidays, all the chaos that ensues. All the shopping, all the cooking. It's kind of a pause before the long, never-ending blast of winter cold and that dreaded S-word that I hate so much if you live in my part of the country in the Midwest. But then especially if you have little ones, there is the upcoming celebration of Halloween and trick-or-treat to enjoy. Honestly, I personally miss the days when we would dress all five of our kids up and take them trick-or-treating. We used to go out with them in our own costumes and take just as much part of what they were doing as if we were sending them up to the door by themselves. And it was a blast. It wasn't about the candy or the costumes, really. It was more about that one-on-one family time that I miss so much right now that my babies are kind of flying the coop and we're about to become permanent empty nesters for good. So no matter what stage in life you are, if you have little ones still to pass out candy to, or if you're far beyond those years now, I think we can all recall a few nostalgic memories of days gone by, the celebrations we partook of, and costumes we put on as we walked the dark streets on Halloween, hoping for candy, of course, but I, for me, it was more about that feeling like when you went to school that day on Halloween and you got to wear your costumes to school, and then it was the one time during the week that you could stay up late and all your friends would meet up. We'd team up with our best friends to see who could score the most candy or get the most laughs or get the most shocked response to our creepy costumes that we wore. So no matter the focus, I have fond memories of those days. And year after year, we had the time of our lives, didn't we? So on this week's podcast, I thought I'd get the spooky vibes rolling and let's talk about some myths and legends and creepy ghost stories surrounding Halloween. So I'm going to start off by uh, reading a quote from a fellow podcaster called Radio Lab. Uh, you might want to check out their podcast for this season. It sounds like something I'd love to. And they just kind of got the vibes rolling by saying, I am terrified by a great many things. 
ghosts, monsters, clowns, serial killers, and a wide variety of creatures with more than four limbs. Yes, but also destitution, bodily decay, global warming, the ebb and flow of human extremism, and never being truly known by the ones you love. Being alive in the world is as horrific as it is pleasurable, and so it is only appropriate that, as Halloween season arrives, we provide a list of suitably creepy listens for your intimate oral pleasure. So go check them out now if you haven't already. Um, it's sure to be a scare. It sounds like something, like I said, that I'd be interested in. I'm surely going to check them out. So first of all, I thought I'd get us in the mood by mentioning a few Halloween time or horror movies that we like to watch to get us in the mood for Halloween. Um, one of them from my day and age that's not necessarily a horror movie, but it's a don't miss it for Halloween. It's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Cannot forget about that classic. Some others are The Omen, Rosemary's Baby, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Shining, which gave me freaking nightmares forever. Those two little twins and most especially Jack Nicholson and his creepy ass eyes. Child's Play with Chucky, Beetlejuice, Carrie, Psycho, The Exorcist, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Casper the Friendly Ghost, Ghostbusters, Scream, Final Destination, Hocus Pocus, which is some of my daughter's very favorites, Friday the 13th, and then of course we can't miss Halloween, the movie itself. Okay, so what is Halloween and where did it originate? Pretty much everything I've researched this week comes from articles that I found um, written from writers that are on history.com. So there, of course, has to be some truth to that, right? Okay, they said that Halloween has its roots in the ancient pre-Christian Celtic festival of Samhain, which was celebrated on the night of October 31st. The Celts, who lived 2,000 years ago in the area that is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and northern France, believed that the dead returned to earth on Samhain. On that sacred night, people gathered to light bonfires, offer sacrifices, and pay homage to the dead. Did you know that although it is unknown precisely where and when the phrase trick-or-treat was coined, the custom had been firmly established in American popular culture by 1951 when trick-or-treating was depicted in the Peanuts comic strip. In 1952, Disney produced a cartoon called Trick-or-Treat, featuring Donald Duck and his nephews Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Now, during some of the Celtic celebrations of Samhain, villagers disguised themselves in costumes made of animal skins to drive away phantom visitors. Banquet tables were prepared and food was left out to placate unwelcome spirits. Sometimes it makes me wonder, with all the creepy things that went on back there, what was prepared for dinner for those banquet tables? ha <laughs> In later centuries, people began dressing as ghosts, demons, and other malevolent creatures, performing antics in exchange for food and drink. This custom, known as mumming, dates back to the Middle Ages and is thought to be an antecedent for trick-or-treating. That's interesting. So, while you're out there taking the hand of your little cherub and walking them door-to-door -door in their little princess or angel or little Minnie Mouse costume, just remember... You too could have lived in the Middle Ages and come face to face with unwelcome spirits and demons instead. Now there also was an early Christian and medieval route for trick-or-treating as well. By the 9th century, Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with and supplanted older pagan rituals. 
In 1000 AD, the church designated November 2nd as All Souls Day, a time for honoring the dead. Celebrations in England resembled Celtic commemorations of Samhain, complete with bonfires and masquerades. Poor people would visit the houses of wealthier families and receive pastries called soul cakes in exchange for a promise to pray for the souls of the homeowner's dead relatives. Known as souling, the practice was later taken up by children who would go from door to door asking for gifts such as food, money, and ale. In Scotland and Ireland, young people took part in a tradition called guising, or dressing up in costume and accepting offerings from various households. Rather than pledging to pay f pray for the dead, I don't think we want to pay for the dead, we need to pray for the dead, they would sing a song, recite a poem, tell a joke, or perform another sort of trick before collecting their treat, which typically consisted of fruits, nuts, and coins. Thank God we changed over to chocolate and we don't get fruits and nuts all the time now. I mean, a little extra cash would come in handy, but... Now, we could also use a little prayer in this day and age, but I don't know if it's the souls of our dead relatives that exactly need the extra good juju. I think maybe it's the ones like us that are stuck here trying to survive this completely messed up, totally chaotic, unkind, conspiratorial lunacy that we face in today's world instead. I think we could all use a little help with that, don't you? No? Just me? Okay, then it's just me, but either way, you can send some good juju my way, too. Alright, so have you also heard the time around Halloween called All Saints Day or All Hallows Eve? Is it all the same or is it different? From what I've read, we all know that Halloween is a holiday celebrated each year on October 31st. Halloween this year occurs on Sunday, October 31st. As we talked about earlier, the tradition originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts. But in the 8th century... Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints. And soon, All Saints Day incorporated some of the traditions of Samhain. The evening before was also known as All Hallows' Eve, and later Halloween. Over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, festive gatherings, donning costumes, and eating treats. The Celts, who lived 2,000 years ago, mostly in the area that is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France, celebrated their new year on November 1st. This marked uh, the day that was the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of year that was often associated with human death. I can understand that. I feel like sometimes that's <laughs> we're all kind of part of the walking dead while we are stuck in that brutal, cold winter and begging to be anywhere that's warmer. Uh, Celts believe that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain when it was believed that ghosts of the dead returned to Earth. This is also, we just watched a show last night, uh, our medical show, The Resident, that talked about the same thing. And it's supposedly the day that the, the veil is thinnest between the two worlds, between the living and the dead, and the dead can actually reach out and communicate with which would be really freaking awesome if that was possible. And I do believe it's possible for those that believe. In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, the Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids or Celtic priests to make predictions about the future. For a people entirely dependent on the volatile natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort during the long dark winter. To commemorate the event... Druids built huge sacred bonfires where people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During this celebration, the Celts wore costumes typically consisting of animals, heads, and skins, and attempted to tell each other's fortunes. So, 
We mentioned earlier Sam Hain a few times. What exactly is it and where did it originate from? It has strong ties to Wicca. A broad revival of Samhain resembling its traditional pagan form began in the 1980s with the growing popularity of Wicca. Wicca celebration of Samhain takes on many forms, from the traditional fire ceremonies to celebrations that embrace many aspects of modern Halloween, as well as activities related to honoring nature and ancestors. Wiccans look at Samhain as the passing of the year and incorporate common Wiccan traditions into the celebration. In the Druid tradition, Samhain celebrates the dead with a festival on October 31st and usually features a bonfire and communion with the dead. There's one main, <laughs> main theme I see developing here. American pagans often hold music and dance celebrations called witches' balls in proximity to Samhain. Now, pagans who embrace Celtic traditions with the intent of reintroducing them faithfully into modern paganism are called Celtic Reconstructionists. In this tradition, Samhain is called Oik Shamhana, I don't know how to say it, and celebrates the mating between Tuatha de Danann gods, Dagda, and River Eunice. Celtic Reconstructionists celebrate by placing juniper decorations around their homes and creating an altar for the dead where a feast is held in honor of deceased loved ones. Since Celtic blood runs deep in my ancestry, it would not be right if I didn't share some Irish myths and legends as well. So do any of you know how jack-o'-lanterns came to be? According to History.com, this legend is how they originated. And it's called the Legend of Stingy Jack. People have been making jack-o'-lanterns at Halloween for centuries. The practice originated from an Irish myth about a man nicknamed Stingy Jack. According to the story, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. True to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin that Jack used to buy their drinks. Once the devil did so, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross, which prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that the devil could not come down, and the devil promised Jack not to bother him again for ten more years. Soon after, Jack died. As the legend goes, God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven. The devil, upset by the trick that Jack had played on him and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell either. He sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. The Irish began to refer to this ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern and then simply Jack-o'-lantern. I thought that was pretty cool. I'd never heard that story before. So in Ireland and Scotland, people began to make their own versions of jack-o'-lanterns and they carved scary faces into turnips or potatoes and placed them in windows or near doors to frighten away stingy jack and other wandering evil spirits. In England, large beets are used. Immigrants from these countries brought the jack-o'-lantern tradition with them when they came to the United States. They soon found that pumpkins, a fruit native to America, made perfect jack-o'-lanterns. I thought that that was pretty cool. Now, what are some other creepy figures that you think of when you think of Halloween? 
I think of things like witches and vampires and werewolves, mummies, creepy little clowns, the devil himself, and flesh-eating zombies to scare the bejesus out of all of us. I think for me, <laughs> out of all of those, if I had to pick them, I think zombies scare me more than any of the above. And I think we all have the walking dead to thank for that, don't we? I find it nearly impossible to believe that you haven't heard of or haven't watched the entire Walking Dead series. But for those of you who don't know, The Walking Dead is an American post-apocalyptic horror television series based on the comic book series of the same name by Robert Kirkman, Tony Moore, and Charlie Adlard, together forming the core of The Walking Dead franchise. The series features a large ensemble cast of survivors of a zombie apocalypse, trying to stay alive under near-constant threat of attacks from zombies known as walkers, among other nicknames. However, with the collapse of modern civilization, these survivors must confront other human survivors who have formed groups and communities within their own sets of laws and morals, sometimes leading to the open, hostile conflict between them. So what is it about zombies that scares us so much? <laughs> Maybe because The Walking Dead made it seem so real as if it could happen any day to any of us. I remember my kids were little thinking, like I'd find a random stick by their bed or a random whatever. And they'd be like, well, I'm just keeping it in, just in case. You know, they'd watch The Walking Dead and then they'd go to bed with a gigantic stick next to their bed just in case. So let's talk zombies and pop culture. According to The Undead 18th Century by Linda Troost, Zombies appeared in literature as far back as 1697 and were described as spirits or ghosts, not cannibalistic fiends. They arrived on the film scene around the same time as their monster peers, like Frankenstein and Dracula, with the 1932 release of White Zombie. But it wasn't until 1968 that zombies acquired a cult following of their own with the release of Night of the Living Dead, directed by George Romero. I think we can all relate to that one and remember Night of the Living Dead, no matter how old you are. Even if you're uh, part of the millennia generation, I'm pretty sure you would have gone back and watched Night of the Living Dead by now. And over the next 15 years, Romero directed two more zombie films, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. As special effects technology improved with each film, the zombies appeared more gruesome and more realistic. From the 1980s on, dozens of zombie films were made. Even Scooby-Doo battled zombies in the 1998 film Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. And the 2013 release of World War Z starring Brad Pitt brought zombie culture to a disturbing new level. Fully agree. So not surprisingly, television jumped on board and onto the zombie bandwagon with shows like iZombie. Anybody remember that one? That one was pretty cool. And Helix was the other one. But no zombies ever terrified more television viewers than those on The Walking Dead. Each show featured a post-apocalyptic zombie feeding frenzy that left fans horrified yet unable to look away. The zombie, often portrayed as an undead, flesh-eating, decaying corpse, has enjoyed a popularity surge in recent years. Whether they're devouring their prey in The Walking Dead or getting their groove on in Michael Jackson's thriller video, zombies dominate pop culture. But are zombies real? Unlike many other monsters, which are mostly a product of superstition, religion, fear, just everything made up within the TV and the movie realm, zombies have a basis in fact, and several verified cases of zombies have been reported from Haitian voodoo culture. That's terrifying. <laughs> so now let's talk about some zombie traits. A zombie, according to pop culture and folklore, is usually either a reawakened corpse with a ravenous appetite 
or someone bitten by another zombie infected with a zombie virus. Zombies are usually portrayed as strong but robotic beings with rotting flesh. Their only mission is to feed, and they typically don't have conversations, although some of them may grunt a little. If you watch Walking Dead, they make all kinds of noises. So what are the origins of zombies? Are they just made-up creatures? The ancient Greeks may have been the first civilization terrorized by the fear of the undead. Archaeologists have unearthed many ancient graves which contain skeletons pinned down by rocks and other heavy objects, assumedly to prevent the dead bodies from reanimating. Zombie folklore has been around for centuries in Haiti, possibly originating in the 17th century when West African slaves were brought in to work on Haiti's sugarcane plantations. Brutal conditions left the slaves longing for freedom. According to some reports, the life, or rather afterlife, of a zombie represented the horrific plight of slavery. Voodoo is also in conjunction with zombies mentioned sometimes. It's a religion based in West Africa and practiced throughout Haiti and the Caribbean, Brazil, the American South, and other places with an African heritage. Many people who follow the voodoo religion today believe that zombies are myths, but some believe zombies are people revived by a voodoo practitioner known as a bokor. Bokors have a tradition of using herbs, shells, fish, animal parts, bones, and any other object they can to create concoctions including zombie powders, which contain tetrodotoxin, a deadly neurotoxin found in puffer fish and some other marine species. Used carefully at sublethal doses, is that really possible? Is it really possible to be careful with sublethal doses? I don't care what kind of dose it is, I don't want to take part in it. The tetrodotoxin combination may cause zombie-like symptoms such as difficulty walking, mental confusion, and respiratory problems. Hmm. That sounds awfully familiar to some of the uh, viruses we have going on at this current moment. High doses of tetrodotoxin can lead to paralysis and coma. This could have caused someone to appear dead and then be buried alive and then later revived. So that's their explanation on zombies are not real, but this zombie powder could confuse someone for being dead and then coming back to life. Now what really scared me is that I read an article that said that real zombies are reported in medical journals. Now as I was reading this article I was really creeped out. These true life cases of what appear to be zombies coming back to life and proved in actual medical journals, that scares the crap out of me. I don't want to be a part of any kind of zombie apocalypse, thank you very much. And though it's rare, there are several credible reports in medical journals of people using these compounds to induce paralysis in people and then revive them from the grave. A 1997 article in the British medical journal, The Lancet, described three verifiable accounts of zombies. In one case, a Haitian woman who appeared to be dead was buried in a family tomb only to reappear three years later. An investigation revealed that her tomb was filled with stones and her parents agreed to admit her to a local hospital. I'm sorry, but I don't think I'd be gone three years. That medicine's going to wear off like long before that. So what did she do for the next three years? I don't think she was just laying in there, not eating, not sleeping, doing anything for three years. So what happened to her during that time? In another well-documented case, a Haitian man named Clairvius Narcissi entered a local hospital with severe respiratory problems in 1962. After he slipped into a coma, Narcissi was declared dead and buried shortly thereafter. Eighteen years later, 
A man walked up to Angelina Narcissi in a village marketplace insisting she was his sister. Doctors, townspeople, and family members all identified him as Clervius Narcissi, who claimed he had been buried alive, then dug up and put to work on a distant sugar plantation. Hmm. I don't know about that. Now, one of the most controversial things I ran across when I was researching my favorite characters, the zombies, there was a question that was raised that said, are zombies in the Bible? Take it for what it's worth. People don't be offended by what I'm going to read you because I don't know that I agree with it either. If you believe in the Bible and you believe that miracles truly did happen in the Bible, that's what they are. They're miracles. However, they are just comparing these stories and saying there could have been an additional explanation. So the modern day carnivorous zombie is not specifically in the Bible, but there are many references to bodies being reanimated or resurrected, which may have inspired zombie myths throughout history. The book of Ezekiel describes a vision where Ezekiel is dropped in a boneyard and prophesies to the bones. The bones start to shake and become covered with muscle and flesh until they're reanimated, yet there was no breath in them. The book of Isaiah states, The dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Moreover, the passages abound in both the Old and New Testament around the resurrection of saints and sinners in the end times. These may be the reason why so many zombie stories are associated with an apocalypse. So, in knowing all of this and talking about all of this, what is our fascination with these zombies? Why does the modern world have such a love affair with zombies? History may be to blame, according to Stanford literary scholar Angela Bacara by Degar. Bidegar says she believes mankind's perception of violence took a drastic turn after the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. She feels such large-scale disasters cause people to fictionalize their deaths on a mass scale and focus on the survival of the fittest, a common theme among zombie narratives. Interestingly enough, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention agreed. They took advantage of zombie mania and created a zombie preparedness website to motivate people to prepare for disasters and offer tips on how to survive a zombie apocalypse and other catastrophes. The site was obviously a huge hit. So whether you're a fan of zombies or the thought of running into one causes you to sleep with one eye open, they are a part of modern pop culture. Although the zombie myth has a basis in fact, today's zombies have taken on a life of their own. All right, well, I think it's time to take a little break. I'm going to go grab a cup of blood from my cauldron, or, um, I mean, coffee from my coffee pot. And, uh, yeah, we'll be right back to hear the tale of a fateful trip. Wait, that's another show entirely, isn't it? Well, whatever it is, I'll be back to scare your socks off. I'll be back soon. <laughs> Well, I'm back, all you guys and ghouls out there. I know this podcast is totally unlike me and super cheesy, but 
I thought maybe we could all use a little bit of fun this week as we get in the festivity mode of celebrating Halloween or just celebrating fall. Seems like there's so much darkness and just yuck that surround us all the time that I thought maybe we'd just have a little fun this week. I thought in closing, I would read to you the blurb and epilogue for my very first novel I wrote. I had forgotten until I was looking at some other things today that it was actually released on Halloween, and it's called The Chronicles of Travelstead, Coven of Ashwood Falls. So I'm going to read you that blurb now, so just sit back and relax. As the faintest sliver of moonlight edged its way into the wooded forests of Ashwood Falls, Oregon, whispers and moans of spirits from below reverberated throughout the terror-stricken town. Black, shadow-cloaked figures smelling like the putrid stench of death seeped into cobblestone crevices of the once conservatively quiet community. They were teetering on the verge of panic, hoping against all odds that omens surrounding this night would never arrive. An eerily prolonged succession of resplendent lightning collided with brutal, undulating roars of thunder. Each combined explosion causing the walls erected from the haunted library's impervious foundation to shudder profoundly. The vestibule was coming alive. A conglomeration of gruesome and perplexing creatures of the night finding their way through the darkness and into the chambers below. Diabolical specters schemed in the secret quarters above, chanting incantations born of ancient spells, spewing evil formed from their dark magic. But there was one thing that they hadn't counted on, as their infernal schemes the warlocks had crafted were being conjured. Travelstead, the gothic warrior from another realm. His time-worn brown leather satchel was filled with magically bizarre gizmos and multifunctional weaponry. Inside his traveling bag of tricks was a bewitchingly mysterious book, its pages inundated with protection spells, spells to banish evil, and deluged with the ancestral mysteries of the supernatural realms it harbored inside. Follow Travelstead as he joins forces with an entirely unconventional, totally kick-ass entourage. Together, they devise a covert plan to vanquish and destroy the abhorrent Lords of Darkness. Join this team of conscripts as they battle for their lives and souls, as they wage war against a secret coven of witches lurking in the dark, ancient cobblestone passages of the town of Ashwood Falls. Alright, so I've inserted the link below, so slide your way over to Amazon and click to buy a copy of my steampunk time travel Sleep with the Lights on Chiller, The Chronicles of Travelstead, Coven of Ashwood Falls. And if you love it so much you want more, you can also snag a copy of the sequel, The Chronicles of Travelstead, Mount Crucieris Asylum. Though not released on Halloween, within its pages lies a terrifying tale of its own. I'll read you that premise as well to set your spine all a tingle and get you ready for Halloween. Join Travelstead, the gothic steampunk warrior from another realm, and his unconventional sidekick, Elden, on this supernatural journey. Thrust through space and time, twirling and spinning through a psychedelic portal with brilliant bursts of kaleidoscopic light, they are sent spiraling out of control into the great unknown, disembarking on yet another adventure to save mankind from itself. They arrive at their next mysterious destination amidst a barren, desolate land, placed betwixt and between an alarmed, 
and starkly dismayed assembly of psychologically tormented and oppressed souls. Their hysterically deranged voices echo throughout the corridors of Mount Crucieris Asylum. Travelstead is forced to face the demons of his past while attempting to rescue the vexed, phantasmal beings suffering from severe mental afflictions of the mind. They have been psychologically tortured, cast out from society for being unwell. All that remains is the cryptic shell of their bee-devil beings, teetering on a delicate precipice between life and death. Will he be able to save them from themselves, or will he remain forever ensnared inside his own tormented psyche for the remainder of eternity? If he does not take control of the incessant ramblings of his own subconscious mind, he may not make it out with his life or his sanity intact. So I encourage you all to go to Amazon.com right now. Look up my books, The Chronicles of Travelstead, Coven of Ashwood Falls, and Mount Crucieris Asylum. Only if you dare. <laughs> well, my friends, it's that time again. So my friends, Friday the 13th lovers, Final Destination, Fright Night fans, whoever you might be. Another creepy episode has come and gone, and it's time for us to say goodbye. I'm going to read my outro as I do on every other episode ending, but this time, let's get into character and think of the words as if a zombie apocalypse is upon us instead. It's time to get down to business of saving souls from the sacrificial supper. I hope you'll join me each week as we take the next steps in becoming more than we ever thought imaginable, be it chasing zombies, our dreams, or living our best freaking lives out loud, no matter who or what serves to stand in our way. As we learn that nothing, and I mean not even a zombie apocalypse, is too big to handle when we step out of the way and let the universe guide us. My wish is that I have provided you with hope against your demons, that I have uplifted you from the bowels of hell, that I have made you laugh out of fright, made you cry while expelling a curse, and that you want to scream out loud, I can do this, yes I can. Take that, zombies. You ain't got nothing on me. So chin up, my friend. Put your shoulders back on your head and don't let anything stop you now. You've taken the next step across that deserted wasteland called life, and it's all uphill from here. So straighten your bloody crown. Take a deep breath in. What's that? Just ignore that stench of putrid flesh rotting and seeping in now. Just let it all go, because I believe in you. You've got what it takes to fight zombies and anything else that stands in your way. And so do I. Wait, just let me grab my machete. Okay, I'm ready. Together we'll make it through day by day and piece by piece. I don't even need to insert a pun here. That was funny all on its own. <laughs> Until we're restored, healed, and find joy in your journey once again. I hope you have a great, fun-filled Halloween weekend. Hang in there, if you dare, and know that you're loved from here to the universe and to hell and beyond. Until next time, I'm unconditionally yours. All my love and guts, Sadie. Coincidentally, this has been the 13th episode of the Daily Escape Podcast, and I am your host, Sadie K. Frazier. <laughs>